the real estate and investing episode. Welcome to the 313 Men, Money, and Marriage podcast, where facts, logic, and reasoning are at the forefront of every conversation. And in this episode, we're going to be doing talking all about real estate investing. Some of the questions we will be asking is, why do so many people want to invest in real estate? How hard is it to get started in real estate investing? How do you avoid scams and frauds? What are the different types of loans you can use for real estate investing? And lastly, in what ways can you invest in real estate without actually owning physical property with our returning guest, Mr. Greg's take. So sit back, relax, and enjoy as we delve deep into this issue. And welcome back to the 313 Men, Money, and Marriage podcast. And as we did say in the intro, we're going to be talking about real estate investing Now, we had Greg on the show a couple times before talking about, you know, relationships with money. And we also talked about, you know, how to make sure that you can save money. But his area that he has a lot of experience in is actually in real estate investing. And so a few people did reach out to me and asked if he could answer some questions pertaining to real estate investing. So that's pretty much what we're going to try and do today. So, with everyone, welcome back, Mr. Greg's Take. Greg, how are you doing? I'm good. I ran out of $20 bills to pay those people to clap. They tapped me. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that's, that's my built-in audience there. Right? They, they follow me everywhere I go. So, there you go. we have uh, some really good stuff here that we're going to be talking about. This is a topic that I had wanted to do a long time ago, but I never really wanted to go into it too deeply because when we were first starting out, I thought it might be a little too much, you know, for the audience. But now we have all these episodes in, I think it will be a little bit, you know, they'll understand the direction that we're trying to go in and, you know, we'll, we'll take it from there. So I figured why not have someone who is actually a real estate investor as of right now. So we're going to bring him on and he's going to be talking about this stuff here. Well, Greg, the first thing I want to just ask you is how did you actually get involved in real estate investing? Um, I exited mortgage banking, which means lending the money on the houses that people buy for over 20 years. Got out a couple months ago, and um, it's just kind of a good transition. I've been around, you know, appraisals and appraisers and people buying and selling houses. So there was a good groundwork there. Um, I've tinkered with it, you know, here and there, going to some of the meetings, the real estate investor meetings 20 odd years ago, trying to get plugged in, didn't have any capital, didn't know anybody. So now it's like, okay, you're 54. It's let's go ahead and take a shot here and, uh, and do that. So that's just kind of how it happened for me. I don't come from a family of real estate investors, although my stepdad did invest over the years. Uh, he's gone now. He's been gone for a couple of years and he had some winners and he had some losers, but over time, um, the goal that he set when he was, uh, when I was a kid, of how much money he wanted to have when he died, he tripled it. So he did pretty good. We weren't like living in the Hamptons or anything, but for manual labor, he, I think he did a pretty damn good job. And a good bit of that was, you know, buying it, doing some spec houses, building them with a partner, splitting profits, things like that. Well, that's good. And, and, you know, a lot of people, when they, they, they see that, you know, a lot of, we get a lot of our information from TV, as you know, we, so we'll see, we might see 
a lot of these shows on TV and we think that that's basically how it works. You know, it's like, you know, I, I retired from working in a, in a prison system for all these years. And whenever I tell people that, hey, I worked in the prison system, one of the first questions I always get is, is it like that TV show Oz? <laughs> and I'm like, no, it's not like Oz. It's a totally yeah. different thing. But so the same thing with real estate, a lot of people will see something on TV and then make that assumption. Has that been your experience, you know, with, with people, you know, whoever have asked you this question? Well, I'm glad you brought it up because I was actually thinking about that before we came on. And I said, well, I'll just let him, if he brings it up, fine, I'll maybe mention it. Um, there's nothing sexy about it at all. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, looking at something like that to, to get ideas is fine. But you're talking about a highly edited, chopped down version of the entire process. You, you just see the stuff that works for TV. And we understand that that's a medium that has to be formatted a certain way. Um, but I've only, I don't have an expansive career and I can promise you, um, if you're not laying awake at night, at least a couple of nights during the, being in the middle of a deal, you're not, they say you're not growing. Um, does it, that ever go away? No, because the more money you borrow, the bigger the stakes become over time or they can stay small. So, you know, my, my first couple of deals, I use my own money, but to answer your question, um, don't assume that what you see on TV is the way that it works. It's, um, the, the deals that get you the biggest return, they're the hardest and they're the ones that the average investor stays away from. They want the low hanging fruit. That's where all the fish are swimming is in that pond. You don't have to go into the deep end to get the deals that can make you more money, but I'm not talking multi, multi-million. I'm talking about just good old working class folks like you and I here, Andrew and I, you listening, you can get in. Um, but I would highly recommend you don't go in blindly and try to do it on your own. You got to surround yourself with people that are in it and that are doing it well. Not some fly-by-nighter that uh, bought a rental at an auction and thinks he's a tycoon. You feel me? I got that. And, and I'm glad you brought that up because we're going to cover that a little bit later. Cool. Now, the, the area I want to ask you specifically is real estate investing right now, you know, in our current market situation right now, currently, as you know, and me and you've talked about it, I think on the last episode is interest rates. And, yeah. you know, we are we've been a, I'll say this. We've been a spoiled nation, probably about maybe. 10 to 15 years pertaining to having low interest rates uh, for long-term investments such as houses. And now they are going up. And I don't know the exact number right now, but my guess is I've seen some as high as 7%. And some may be six in the sixes, but then like we said before, historically speaking, that's still low, but it is higher than what we're used to. Because we did come from an all-time low, I think, well, an all-time low in modern history where stuff was dropping into the twos, and now we're up to 7%. So is it a good time or a good idea to look into real estate investing at this current moment in time as the market is, you know, going through these higher rates? Well, I mean, for the average bear, you know, I think most people would say, maybe wait till rates come down. But... If we wait for rates to come down, we may never invest, right? Or if they do go down, did we not gain the knowledge between the time they were high and the time they got low to actually get into the game? So the answer to the question is, if you want to get in, it doesn't matter what interest rates are, just get in, right? We, we either start when it's rough or we start when it's easy, which where do you want to come in and how soon do you want to get good at what it is that you want to do? You know, there's an old saying, how soon... 
How long do you want it to take to get, to get good at what it is that you want to do? Playing the guitar, maybe. Well, I practice 10 minutes a day. Do the math. Multiply that by 365 days. You'll know about how many hours it takes to get to a certain level of proficiency when someone's teaching you. You just do the math and you put the time in. And I'm still in that. I'm in like year or month 16. You know, when I jumped into an apprenticeship, um, I'm not going to do this stuff alone. And they literally do this step, do this step, do this step. So to answer your question, there is no right time to get into real estate. In the early 80s, money was 18, 19, 20%. Investors were buying and selling houses. Yes. And I, I've used that as an example before. We were talking about how, how high rates were and where they are compared to there. And so I, I basically tell people where we're at now is probably the middle. Would you agree with that or just taking this like yeah. maybe highs versus lows? Are we sort yeah, of I in mean, the middle? Or are we still on the low side or the, what, what, yeah. what, are your, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, if, if we compare the early 80s and I was just a kid, didn't know anything about any of this, 18, 19, 20 compared to they're pushing eight now. They're not high. And here's the thing. If you've been dreaming and thinking about getting into real estate at whatever level when money was four and three and two and you waited and now it's eight, when are you going to jump in the pool? When, when is the temperature going to be perfect? When are all, when are the planets going to line up? I mean, that's just me being real. It's just like there. And I used to think that way. Oh, wait, 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 wait. It's okay. I don't have any money. You don't need money to get in. You get plugged in and you find a good deal. You're going to, there's going to be, you can't borrow all the money that'll be, that'll be available to you, but you just got to plug in. It's amazing. That's a no, good point. No good deal goes unfunded. When you find a good deal, there's people that are dying to put their capital to work. They want to lend it to you. If you, are surrounded by people that can guide you. So you, you know, and they're not going to do a reckless deal. They're going to, they're going to do sure. their homework and make sure they're getting into a good deal. So anyway, I rambled a bit there. No, that's fine. Is, is yeah. the next question I want to ask you is pertaining to upfront or starter capital. Uh, I'm pretty sure you could probably start with little to none maybe, or you might be in your best interest to have a good chunk of change saved. And at least for unexpected, uh, things that pop up during the process of, of buying a, a property. Mm -hmm. What would be, I guess, what your thoughts are on maybe how much you should have, say, put away before you start wanting to do real estate investing? Is there, I, I, I obviously there's, mean, there's no magic number because yeah. it depends on where you live and all these different things. But what, what would be your, your thoughts on that? Okay. Let's, I'll just keep it real simple. Let's say you've got your eye on a little single family house. Maybe it's a two bedroom, one bath. Maybe it's a three bedroom, two bath standard stuff, you know, a, a brick ranch, something, or, or could be, could be something small, but we start where we can, where we can fit in. Right. And you're looking at it and let's, we'll use an easy number. Let's say it's a hundred thousand dollars. Oh, Greg, nothing costs that much. We got to use an easy number. So it's a hundred thousand dollars. The standard thinking in the business is if you're going to buy it as an investment property and get a bank loan, 20% down payment is fairly normal, right? Depending on if you go to a local bank, if you go to a big bank. So let's just say that's $20,000. Then you've got to have reserves on top of that. How many reserves? That means the total payment, all the maintenance and all these other things, they've got little formulas that they use. What's that number? Depends on the bank. Some may say six months. Some may say 12 months. I don't know the answer to the question, but I do know this. If you pay retail, you can't buy as many houses as the person that buys below market. You've got to look for the bargains. You've got to look for the bargains. If, if you're going to get in and get your first property, that's my recommendation. You've got to be patient and look for the bargain. And here's another way to get in if you don't have a bunch of money. Let's say you say, I'll never come up with 20. Find a friend that's got 10 and you get your 10 and you guys house hack together. Buy a duplex. Both of you live on one side as roommates. 
rent out the other side and obliterate that mortgage and pay that thing down with lightning speed and then turn around and go buy another one and house hack that one. I know people that house hack three, four, five times in a row. And the goal is to eventually have a paid for house. Now you've got some equity that you can borrow against, right? So there's ways to get into the game because it takes a long time to save $20,000 to buy a $100,000 house. And guess what's happening while you're saving your money? Inflation is chewing up your purchasing power every single day. So that, that would be my general recommendation. Don't be looking at the mansions. Now, if you live in California and New York and these bigger markets, um, everything's really expensive. Maybe you have a bigger paycheck. Then fine, you have a bigger paycheck. You're 20 down, 20% down, maybe 100 grand. You're 20% down, maybe 20,000. Price doesn't really matter. Real estate's real estate, generally speaking. You know, the, the percentages and, and the math and all that really doesn't change. It's just more decimal points. That makes sense. It does. And, and that's going to lead to my next question here. Basically, what, what is your thoughts on uh, flipping property? Uh, does it work, basically? And what are the risks? And the reason why I want to ask this question really quick is just like, again, we see a lot of these flipping shows on television. And within the course of a half an hour to an hour show, it looks so seamless. You know, it just looks like these guys are it's like rinse, wash and repeat type thing. And I don't believe it's that. But would you be able to give us some insight on that? Well, I will share some of the insight given to me by a man who's been in the business since he was 18 years old. He's now about 37 years old. I call him the boss or the owner, the coach. He's the company that I came under the tutelage of. He happens to own and run it. Um, and what he teaches, he's doing in real time in, in, in this moment, not 20 years ago, not 30 years ago. So the um, one of the things that he said was this. He said, no one ever got rich flipping houses. And what he was saying was this, we, we need to understand there's context based on how he does what he does. And I, I did what he did, what he taught me to do on my first two deals, right? I won't go into the details. I looked at the house and I didn't say, we're going to do a full rehab. No, you buy at a discount. You buy what we call deep equity, the deepest equity you can buy, meaning you get it as cheap as you can. That means you're looking for a distressed seller, right? They're out there. So you buy at deep equity. You don't need to do a full rehab. I spent less than on two deals. I spent less than literally $6,000 on light rehab and I passed it to another investor. They're the ones that are going to do the pretty and the shiny and the, it's ready to go to a real estate agent with the sign in the yard and all that. So there's money to be made there. Um, but I do know if you've never done it before, the biggest mistake that someone can make coming in is they bite off more than they can chew. And maybe they've saved the money and they see it and they're like, I'm a handyman. I can do carpentry work. And they get involved in a project and it becomes a freaking nightmare, a nightmare. It's like a stone around your neck. And you're like, I thought this was going to be a month. And it turns into six months. And every night you go to bed thinking I'd do anything to get rid of this house, but you know, you have to finish it to turn around and sell it which is actually not completely true. It depends on how, how you bought the deal, what you owe and all these other things. You can stop rehabbing and sell it to another investor. And you know, if the worst case scenario is just break even and get your money back. If you're in, in a bad spot, you don't necessarily have to take a profit. If you just want to get away from it, just sell it and get your money back. Right. Maybe that's, maybe that, that's, that's and, yeah. You know, no, that, that's a good, that's a good point with that. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because 
there's certain times where what you just described can happen to where you don't have to have a whole lot of money to put it in. And then you could still get something, salvage the deal, you mm-hmm. know, and get something back out of it and then just go to the next project or property or, you know, looking for that next discount. Since yeah. we're speaking of discounts, my next area that I do want to cover is foreclosed property. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say what's your thought process is on foreclosed property. And I'm just going to share a quick story with the audience. I bought my first home was a foreclosed property. It was a government program that was running that was based upon, it was, I believe the officer teacher next door program. And I got in right before they shut it down. And now I think it's back up again, but at that time they closed it. But I ended up getting a two bedroom, one and a half bath split level house. That was not even, it was a little under a thousand square feet, about 975 square feet. You know, it did have a one car garage, but I got it as a foreclosure and under the program, I didn't have to put any money down. And I believe at that time, the rates were in the sixes. So I was able to get the house at a discount uh, and I was able to accumulate equity in it relatively quickly, just based upon how the program was structured. Now, during this same time, I was literally trying to, another deal had popped up prior to, and it was a, it was a four, a four family house. Each unit had two bedrooms, one bath. And I was considering trying to get into that one. However, only only one of them was really where you can just walk in and move it. And that was going to be the one I was going to have to live in. The other ones were, were going to need some work. And two of them were going to need significant work. So I knew that if I had got in there, even though the price was really good, I didn't have at that time, I did not have the capital to get that stuff done. And I did not know what I was doing pertaining to real estate and how to, you know, make it happen, do, you know, borrowing against the house. I didn't know all of that stuff. So I passed on that deal. And another reason why I passed on the deal too, was I was up in Connecticut and it didn't have, uh, it was street parking. And so when it snows, you know, there's some issues there. It was just, it wasn't, it just didn't feel right for me, but I'm saying that to say this foreclosed properties, in my opinion, if you find the right one in the right neighborhood, I think it can be very rewarding for you. And, and what's your thoughts on that? Um, one thing, typically the way most people buy a foreclosed property is, is they buy a list. I personally know a guy, not very well, but through the group that I'm in, that calls the county clerk the old school way, and he gets the, the most current, as humanly possible, list of pre-foreclosures. And he cold calls them. He's really good at it. That's how he is. He doesn't spend big money on marketing. He cold calls. That's called the grind. It's, it's about numbers and you got to be good on the phone because typically the person answering the phone is going to be pissed that you even called them, maybe interrupted their dinner. And you're just a greedy investor who wants to take their house away from them and take advantage of poor people or someone who's in a bad spot. That's the idea that most people have, right? When they get a cold call. Um, if you can stomach that, right? What I would recommend is if you're interested in that, plug into a team of people that are already buying pre-foreclosures at volume, whatever volume is, if it's one a month, two a month, whatever the number is, and learn from a team that's already in place. If you think you're going to build your machine from scratch, more power to you, but why not flatten that learning curve? So the answer is, is it lucrative? It can be. Is the seller highly motivated? It depends. I currently market to highly motivated sellers, and some of the people that reach out to me are pre-foreclosure. They can be two weeks from the bank taking the house 
and still want every single dime of equity that they think they can squeeze out of that house. And some people are willing to let the bank come take it if they can't get every single dime that they think they should get out of that house. So it's not easy. Um, but I hope that answered your question in some way. No, it does. And that, that's a good way to do it because you're not, you know, doing it that way, you have some assist, you know, you're not just going in there blind, you know, you have some, you know, some, some help basically, you know, you can, and, and I think that's probably the best way to look at it or, yeah. or to do it. There is a list that you can find some of these foreclosed properties on it. And I've seen that pop up before and you could just got to look for them. Biggest thing is neighborhood. I was lucky. Uh, there was the house that I ultimately ended up getting. Uh, was in a good neighborhood in the, the the location of it. It was between, it was 20 minutes from two of the most heavily populated areas in the state. So I was kind of like, it was for resale purposes. It was a good house to own because, you know, it was the person that ultimately ended up buying my house. It cut their commute in half. So they, they saw it and just fell in love with it and it was perfect for them. So I, I, the location I always thought, thought is good and finding a house in an area that's sort of up and coming. Also, if you can find something like that, I think would also be beneficial to you, especially it may not look like much in the beginning, but then it, it takes a few years maybe and it just starts to gain steam and more people start to move to those areas. Then the property of those houses will tend to go up. Now, now, Greg, another area I do want to ask about is frauds and scammers in this real estate investing. The reason why I'm bringing that up is because recently there is a big, huge case out of New Jersey where there was a, a, a famous person that's involved and I'll leave them nameless, but the person that they were with, you know, allegedly is engaging in ripping off some of the people who would put upfront capital for them to buy some of these properties in, I guess, somewhat distressed areas. And a lot of these people are out of the money that they had put forward. And some of them put, you know, up six figures of their savings to, to this investor and they have nothing to show for it now. And so my question is to you is you were talking about getting with a team or getting with people who know how to do this stuff. How do you avoid stuff like that? Those frauds and scammers who are promising you the world and ultimately not delivering. Well, ultimately, I think it's very simple. How did they find you? If it was a random email, a random phone call, or they bumped into you, bumped into you on Facebook, if they're good at what they do, they're not looking for money from strangers, typically. Now there are exceptions. So how do we cure this? Get involved with someone that is doing this that is local to you. That's a plumber, that's a carpenter that does a couple flips a year on the side. You get in there, you get some sweat equity going on, right? You learn, you learn as much as you can. And then you start over time, build a relationship with this person. If you're working for them, you know, how do you borrow this money? And if they're willing to share with you, they'll tell you, hopefully, and most people do what it took to get the down payment, what, who the loan officer is. And you, you work it piece by piece. But if the person found you randomly, I say, stay away. Now there are people at a national level that raise capital, millions of dollars of capital, but they can be part of large networks of legitimate companies, right? But I'm not going to give hundreds of thousands of dollars or any dollars to anybody that I don't know, unless I'm given a referral by someone I personally know. And they say, I would give this guy my life savings, whatever the case may be. And it's a high recommendation, but even then do your homework, 
you know, do your homework if you're talking to a stranger. And that's a big part of what I do. When that seller reaches out to me and I call them back, they don't know me from Adam's brother. I have to build trust and I'm going to drop a nugget here. If you're listening and you have a pen or a pencil, write this down. When you ask me about buying foreclosures, this is a golden nugget. Is that the least you would take, right? It's one of the, it's one of the word terms that we use. Never make offers. If you can remember that, this is what it'll do. Well, Greg, I don't know what to say. Then find somebody that knows what to say. But the way to get in and stay in long-term is never make offers. Why? I'm going to explain to you why. Because if all you do is call them from a list and make an offer, you are nothing but another person grasping for what they have and you become a commodity. And when someone says, well, I'm just, I just want your offer. I'm not your guy. You have to be different from every other swinging jack that is chasing that deal. And trust me, there's a lot of swinging jacks chasing that deal, right? It's just the way the business works. Because a lot of people watch a couple of YouTube videos. They hear their buddies at the water cooler talking about how easy it is to buy foreclosed property. And they're like, oh, we're off to the races. I'll just start calling people. If you don't know what to say, how to say, and when to say it, good luck. So anyway, that's the gem for this entire time we spend together. Never make offers. Don't forget that. That's a good point. And yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I also tell, I've spoken to people before about it because I'm not per se, the landlord type, you know, who wants to, you know, collect rent from people or anything like that. So one investment that I've done is I got into uh, REITs, which are real estate investing investment trusts. And, you know, one of the uh, REITs that I invest in does triple net leasing, which basically means they lease the property out to businesses and the business is responsible for the upkeep of the property as best I understand it. So I'm just basically collecting. And the reason why I get into those is because they pay a high dividend most of the time and they tend to have decent growth. And so for essentially doing nothing, you know, I'm getting back some form of, form of a return, maybe not as big as if I, you know, had physical, uh, you know, physically had the property and could turn around and sell it. But it's a way to get into real estate without actually physically owning property. Another one is what they call uh, online real estate platforms. And that's just when they connect you with other investors on real estate product, on real estate projects that's going on. And so I don't know if you've ever done that, but uh, would you, can you provide us with some insight on those two types of things? Um, well, the real estate investing investment trusts, some of them, you have to have a minimum net worth. That's quite large. It depends on who you're dealing with. Um, and they will vet you. They will, they, you will be coughing up your financials and, or your tax returns. They don't play games. So, you know, you must be this tall to ride this ride. Sometimes that applies. The general public doesn't invest in REITs, um, generally speaking, but what that is, is is pooling of capital and it's a hands-off thing. There's a general rule in investing. The less you have to know and the less work you have to do, the smaller your rate of return is. The more you have to know and the more you have to be actively involved, the higher your rate of return is. Same thing with 401ks. You don't do anything other than just sign up and they talk to you once a year and you're done, right? That, that's just the way that it works. It doesn't mean you have to have a PhD in this stuff. You can get involved. But my recommendation is find a local real estate investing group in your area. They call them um, RIAs, Real Estate in Investing Association. 
it could be a small club of 20 people that meet at a coffee shop or a, or a pizza place. And there may be one in your state. That's the big one. That's a little bit of a drive and, and you share the drive and you go once a month. We have a big one in Nashville and you talk about networking on crack. I mean, there's people there from every, there's people in that room that you do not know that you may never know that are dying to lend you money on your projects. And they don't go around with a bullhorn saying, I have money to lend. They just go in there and they hang out. Because when people have the juice, they don't need to tell people they have the juice. Other people who got the juice from them tell you that they've got the juice. That's just how it works. Did that make sense? It's perfect, Greg, and I'm glad you mentioned that. I was fortunate to read that I got involved and didn't involve a lot of upfront capital per se. Uh, I was able to get in for a, a, a good number. I mean, when I say good numbers, relatively low. It wasn't even five figures, and, cool. but I was able to get in. And there, there's a few of them out there to where you can do that. So you just have to you know look for them. Uh, the the Last area I just want to cover with you is, you know, your advice or, or, or I just say a suggestion you could make because we don't like to necessarily give quote unquote advice on here, but sometimes yeah. it works out that way. But what would be your suggestion for someone who wants to get into real estate is, you know, as green as they come, but they got the bug and they want to give it a shot and they want to say, you know, I want to jump in this real estate thing. I'm seeing these shows. I see people making money. And what would be your suggestion to them who have is the, the person I described, what would you suggest they do? Um, number one, don't do it alone. Fools rush in. Um, and you can get uh, chewed up and spit out really, really quick in the business. And I don't mean by crooked people. I just mean by buying, buying a deal wrong. Uh, one example, a gentleman that I know is an investor and an agent um, a friend referred a woman to, to him who was trying to rehab a house. She went on Zillow and saw the estimated value. She was off by $40,000. She didn't know what she was doing. She lost her shorts and she's just trying to dump the property. My friend who is highly skilled couldn't even buy the deal because it wasn't a deal. She's upside down in it because she thought she knew. And I was told by this man that I know, several people in her circle said, this is a mistake. Do not buy this house. You don't know what you're doing. She was headstrong. She was smarter than everybody else. And she dove into the pool and now she's paying the price. So surround yourself by people that are doing what it is that you want to do. And you hang around people that are doing it, that are successful. They didn't do it 20 years ago. They didn't do 10 years ago and stop. They're currently doing it. They didn't write a book 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. That information is dead and it's stale. There, there are nuggets in there that will work, but they may be selling you some old, some old system that no longer works because we're living in a very rapidly changing world right now. So my encapsulated advice is get to a local investing group, start going to those luncheons if you can, or the Saturday or the Sunday or whatever. It's about immersion. And I did that for the first year and I just completely poured myself into being around these people. It's kind of like a culture is what it is. We're talking the same language. I had to learn the words because when you're having a conversation about a deal, if you hear a word you don't understand, you don't understand what they're talking about. You don't understand the deal. You need to understand the language and it doesn't take long to get around that curve, but you dive in and go, I can do this. My neighbor's got this house for sale and he says it's worth X. Do you have an appraisal from a state certified appraiser that says how much it's worth? And even that is an opinion. But if they work for local banks, the appraiser does, or a bit, or big banks, there's a good chance they're going to know more about valuation than me because I'm not a professional appraiser. That makes sense? Absolutely. Yeah. And Greg, uh, I just want to say that we covered quite a bit in a short period of time. Yeah, so microwave. 
<laughs> Microwave it. Yes, we did it. And uh, I want to say thank you again for lending your time and your energy and your expertise in the area because you've been doing this, like you said, for a while. And if you want to reach out to Greg, uh, if, if he wants, you know, we can have the information, his information up on our website. There'll be an email address if you want to ask him questions. Uh, in addition, he does uh, shows on the Wisdom app. So if you have the Wisdom app and download it, you'll hear him on there. He's on there almost every day. So you might get a chance to hear him pretty regularly on there. If you want to reach out to the show, we do have a website in there. The link is in the show notes. Leave a voice recording or an email if you want. Get on the email list and you'll know in advance what the next show is going to be about. And we also have an Instagram page, the 313 Men Money Marriage, all one word. And you will get on there and see pictures and video clips of certain episodes that we have recorded. So without further ado, we are about to wrap up and we will thank Greg one more time. My traveling crowd here. So until we meet again, we are out.